0: and mp3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, every one of you, and let's go to where we've been in these last weeks as we are looking at the prayer of all prayers. It's the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray and we are looking into it almost word by word. It's found, if you're not with us until now, it's found in Matthew chapter 6. And in verse 9, Jesus said, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we have spent the last four weeks on that. But now, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, those requests, because that's what it is, Jesus is saying that you are to pray that the kingdom come and the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our problem, and it's a problem. And it's a problem wherever you may be listening to this. The problem is that we have little or no concept of what that word kingdom means. Now, if you are living within the United States, you've got a double problem because you are the United States because you, throughout the kingdom... Uh, of the, the English. And, and so you have that newest idea within the nations that you are not ruled over by a king or a president, but you are ruled by the people. A democracy, a real one. And And I have to say, although I live in the United States by choice, when we come to the scripture, we are not dealing with a democracy. Okay, your kingdom come. That's not a democracy. But also if you come from all nations of the world where you may understand kings and kingdoms a little bit better, uh, as I, coming from England, would understand kings, queens, and kingdoms. But you see, when I come to this word, as it's used in the Scripture I too am flummoxed because, you see, Jesus said my kingdom is not of this world. That is, it doesn't find its it's beginnings in the ideas and philosophies of this world. And when you put all the kingdoms of this world alongside each other, you cannot put his kingdom alongside of them in a sort of comparison. And so, I'm sorry, you see, if you come from Europe or elsewhere where we understand kingdoms, uh, that's only in relation to the United States. It's not in relation to Scripture. We have got to come to being little children to hear what the Scripture says in definition of this world word kingdom, and it's of tremendous importance. It's the first real request of the prayer. You might say it is the first desire of the Father. It is the first of all the passion of God's love that His kingdom come. Then we should surely understand what the kingdom is, if we're going to pray this with with any intelligence at all. And and so often we pray this without intelligence. And so what what are we looking at? Kingdom. Kingdom specifically as, as it's understood in the scripture. So let me say again, it's not a democracy. That means there's no voting. Now that could almost sound like a joke, uh, if you know the scripture, but I heard someone on television on a Christian station and they were calling people to place their vote for Jesus. And, and that allegedly was the gospel. They were trying to have people decide to vote for Jesus. Um... Please, that in Scripture is an abomination. Jesus is not voted in. He is placed in through his death and resurrection and ascension, and he's put into his position by the Father. No, no democracy, no voting. You are dealing with God, God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, here is the original source of what the Scripture means by King and Kingdom. It is the God who created all things. And therefore, whether we like it or not, as those created creatures, whether we like it or not, He owns all things. All things are His. And he rules over all things. And he shall accompany, accomplish his purpose in all things. He's king. And he is king by right of his person and by right of being the creator. Okay, no voting. He is. And the word kingdom. What does kingdom mean? Well, the word kingdom. Or, to put it another way, the domain, the domain of the king. That is where the rule of the king extends to, the domain of the king, where his authority extends, the domain of the king. And so, it's all about the king. It's not so much about boundaries. It's about the king and wherever the king's domain is, wherever the king's authority is, there is the kingdom. So the whole issue when we say kingdom is the king whose authority we're talking about. Now let me say it again when we open the pages of the Bible, we meet with the God who creates all things and persons. Therefore, He is the owner. He's the ruler. He is the ultimate, final king of the cosmos. He's the creator. And He's the upholder of it, responsible for that which He has made. And that Creator God was focused in Jesus God the Son Colossians chapter 1 15 tells us that that voice you hear in Genesis 1 saying let it be is the voice of the Son of God Jesus so, so right there we are the creatures we are that we're made by the Creator but we're made at the very peak, the the head of creation. All the rest of creation is a grand canyon and more removed from us. Mankind is made in the image of the one who created him or her. We're made in the image of God, specifically God the Son. Um, And... Therefore, we, we are creatures of dust, we're, we're creatures of this earth, but at the same time we are creatures who are made to be at home For in God himself, we're made in his image. And, and so, to this exalted creature is given, there is appointed to that creature, to mankind, you and I, that we should be the under kings, queens, rulers. We were to rule over creation under God, who is the ultimate king. We're to rule under him. We're to rule the cosmos. It it boggles the mind when one begins to spend time just to think about that mankind's only demand was that he was to obey. That becomes a key word in this. Mankind was to obey his creator. And the word obey, etch this into your mind, for obey has been given many ideas. This is the meaning of the word obey. It is to stand under. That is to recognize that I'm not God. But the the God who's revealed Himself in Jesus Christ, He is God. And I stand under. And in standing under, it is not an irksome business. It's not a hard thing for this God is love and therefore to stand under to recognize I'm a creature is to recognize that I am the beloved of God. Standing under the second part of obedience is to listen. That's not just to hear. Listen means to bring my whole being into focus with the ears of my entire person open to listen. What is God saying to me? What does he want of me? How can I further his love? And the third meaning or part meaning of the word obey, or obedience, is to do. That is, I stand under, recognizing myself to be a creature, to listen with my entire being to what love is saying to me, and then, in fact, to listen with a view to doing what he said. That was it. Mankind was created to be the king, along with Eve, the queen the Lord and Lady of the Cosmos. That's mankind. And all what was asked of them is to walk in harmony and union, to recognize in submission that you are beloved of God. Now listen to Him. And in listening, go do it and establish His kingdom in the midst of the earth. Live in relationship. Incidentally, um, let me say it again, and I, I think soon you'll be able to say it after me, that the, 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 the God we meet in those first verses of the Bible is not a cold, distant judge. So his commands are not something like written in, in the courthouse in, in City Hall. This is, this is relationship. What he's saying is, father to children, what he's saying is the relational communication of love. Live in this relationship. Go and establish this relationship throughout the earth. And you are backed by this God. He doesn't just sort of love you in a kind or grandfatherly way. His love bestows upon you his authority that you tread this earth and you say this is God's earth and God's kingdom shall be established here. And I give you, he said, my power that you shall do this and you'll be able to do this. The word used there in the first Verses of Genesis is blessed them clothed them in the power of God himself That that was creation. That's man. That was life Mankind was to What further the purpose well what I mean by that you see we think of the Garden of Eden Yeah, it was that it was a park seemed to be a jolly big place, but it was a park with boundaries. It had walls around it, and it had gates. And, and please, that, that might be shocking to some of you. The The, the entire planet was not the Garden of Eden. The, the The rest of the planet awaited Adam in the authority and power of God to come throughout the world, the planet, and establish the order and the harmony and the beauty that was beginning in the Garden of Eden. Yes, he was there to establish the kingdom, the rule, the purpose, the triune God throughout the earth. And he was there to protect it. He was told you to keep the garden, which is an old English word, which means to stand there and confront any enemy, any hostile power or person that would seek to diminish the purpose of God. You ought to keep it. You are the policeman of this world to keep it from any powers of anti-God. Yes, he said that to Adam before the fall upon his creation. And he was to take this incredible creation that was at his feet and fingertips and he was to call forth its potential. He was to discover its marvels and call it forth the potential that was hidden inside of creation because God's into hiding things to stir up our creative juices to beautify the earth with the potential of what was already there. Now that would, It was into that situation Satan came. Now, I don't know how you view the matter as if this little couple, you know, they're, they're just a homey couple and they're hanging out in the garden and, and she, she's looking at the Tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and here comes Satan. And well, no, not exactly. What you, you see here is a couple clothed in the glory of God, radiant with their true persons that are rooted in their Creator. He is Lord Adam with absolute authority and power upon the planet. That's a human being, by the way. And beside him is this gorgeous, radiant woman, Queen Eve, who has, along with her husband, absolute and final authority and power to speak in the name of God and to keep, along with her husband, to keep the garden and the planet from all hostile personages quite a difference into that situation comes the arrogant Satan now what was Satan after please understand me Satan was not after just getting this people into hell no there, there was something far more than that it was, it was everything I've just been talking about the aim of Satan was to have Adam and Eve to disobey. Remember the only thing they were asked to was to walk in and obey love. And Satan's number one objective was that this couple should disobey. In fact, and remember I am all for democracy But when it comes to the Scripture and how we deal with God, I have to say it was Satan that introduced democracy. He he comes to say essentially to that first couple, our parents, He came to tell them you have a vote. You don't have to do what God tells you, for goodness sake. No, you've got... You, you, it's rule of the people. You can do what you want. Throw off this rule of God and set up your own agenda. You shall be as God. You, You, you out of the magnificence of who you are, quite independent of Him, you you can set your goals. You, you can introduce your own purpose. You can do your own thing and you've got the whole jolly planet to do it on. That was the temptation. Well, what happens when mankind disobeys God? He loses authority. All That's the meaning of authority. You you. The policeman has authority to use his gun and his powers as long as he's obeying City Hall and obeying the governor's office. If he's not obeying that chain of command, he loses his authority. Satan said, don't listen to God, don't do what he says, And, of course, the fine print was, listen to me and do as I say. And so, in declaring himself, Adam lost God's authority, cast himself out alone in the world, hostile now to God, but he's come under the authority of Satan by believing him, obeying the words he said. And now he is caught. He's now a captive of Satan. He's caught up not only into a self for his self agenda, but he's caught up into Satan's agenda under his authority, his captive. And Satan took the titles that belong to Adam, like the prince of this world. And there's another kingdom. Well, it's such a phony, false kingdom, that I hesitate to use the word kingdom. In fact, the Bible would use the word domain, that word I talked about earlier. it's, It's an area of authority. It's called the domain of the darkness because it denies the only truth and the only light that is in the person of the triune God. It's the domain of death because cut off, self-divorced from God, then I've lost the source of real life and I'm alive but I'm dead while I live. Then they are called. You could say they were called to a court. It was the court of love. Even at that point, the Lord does not come on as the terrible judge. You, you would think he would. They, they've just declared themselves hostile to him and his purpose. But, but there's, there's almost a sadness there. As he questions Adam... First of all, where are you? And then, what have you done? And then, to give a a very sad, sorrowful... I see the compassion in his eyes. Oh, Adam, I I paraphrase. He says, you're you're not God. You're a creature who's cut yourself off from God-life, God-wisdom, God-strength. So, now you're going to be facing an earth... The dirt of the earth is not going to cooperate with you. Even the dirt of the earth is going to recognize that you've cut yourself off from life. And, and, and weeds will prosper and flourish without your help. And if you're going to get anything out of this earth, you're going to do it in the sweat of your brow. And dear Eve, you're going to find much pain in childbirth. It's as if the Lord is saying, you're just going, at every twist and turn of life, you're going to face the reality. You're not God. It was a lie. You're not God. But then he comes to Satan. And he addresses Satan by making a promise to mankind, Adam and Eve. And he promised that Satan's head would be crushed by one who would come forth from Eve's womb. That is, one who would be part and one with this fallen hostile race. One would reverse everything that the decision made in the Garden of Eden to obey Satan would be turned around, and not only turned around, but Satan's head would be crushed. Mankind would be free of Satan's tyranny. In so doing, it said, this one who would come from Eve, his heel would be crushed, which means extreme suffering. You know that word, the head of Satan would be crushed. Um, I suppose you could say the head of the serpent, but the word there means authority. Authority. It means head ship, head over. It's saying that this one who is coming, who would suffer to the extreme and in so doing shatter the authority that Satan had stolen, which means then he would shatter the domain of darkness and death. That was the first promise given to mankind. And it's all about kingdom. It's all about authority. That's where the Old Testament begins. Now I cannot go into every promise, every pointer from Genesis 3.15 where that promise was given right through the Old Testament to Malachi. We do that in our Bible school. And it takes us 15 hours to go through all these promises of the Old Testament. And even then, we, we have to skip over some. This is massive. It's the entire Old Testament. As uh, century followed century, millennia followed millennia, more promises, more pointers, more assurances that one is coming and that one will crush the head. He will strip away the authority of Satan, stolen from mankind, and restore mankind to the purpose of God. But I can tell you quickly this, out of all the families of the earth, the Lord calls Abraham. Think about that. There's only one human being that has any ear to listen at all. He calls Abraham, and and, and he's going to be the one through whom this great one will come. And, And then the family of Abraham becomes what we know as Israel of the Old Testament. And within Israel there were tribes, and one of those tribes was the tribe of Judah. And from within the tribe of Judah, from the little crossroads in the middle of the wilderness called Bethlehem, there was born David. And David was anointed by Samuel the prophet as the first king of Israel. Up until that time, Israel was a mishmash of a family a family that didn't get on too well, certainly you could say that they, they were a dysfunctional family, but in David, they come together under a king, and it's a king appointed by God, a king to be the under king to obey. God and do God's purpose and establish God's kingdom in the midst of the earth. And that's the meaning of the anointing. As the oil was poured upon David and ran down over his head, it was the symbol that conveyed what it symbolized, that the Holy Spirit was coming upon him to enable him to bring about such a kingdom upon the earth. And that pouring of oil in the Hebrew language is Messiah. And so Messiah came into the language to describe the king who was coming, who would be anointed by the Holy Spirit to crush the headship of Satan. And Messiah took on the meanings of one who is obedient to God to recognize he's an under-king. He's not cock of the roost. He's under the only true king. And to listen to what the true king says and then enabled with God's authority and power to do it in the earth. Messiah also meant that all those who were in obedience to Him, the King, and through Him to God that they were mystically included into the King. And so what happened with the King happened with them. It was a a, a bond whereby the people looked upon themselves as being in the King. And it was not a King with a sword hanging over his people. Their idea of a king was a shepherd king, one who would care for the people as a shepherd for sheep. And the word came to David that he would have a descendant, and that descendant would be the one who would do this, only Let let me read it to you from Psalm 89. The Lord says to David that he would have a descendant, and he, that descendant, would be most exalted above all the kings of the earth, that he would be the beloved of God, and the covenant God had made his sworn promises. He would bring them to pass, and he said, I will establish him on his throne forever and forever. Hold that thought. David also was given other insights to the one who was coming, this one who would be in his genealogical line. That one when he came, it says he would sit on the throne of David. That is this throne, this rulership, would be finally occupied, but in a way beyond your understanding, because it said it would be forever, which means it's outside of time and space. David received Psalm number 2, and and it's straight: "'Why do the nations conspire? The peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand. Rulers gather against the Lord, against His Messiah.'" And they say, break their chains. Throw off their... They, they say, we don't want God. We've got our own kingdoms and we don't want his kingdom. But then, says Psalm to the one who is enthroned in heaven laughs. Well, what are you doing? You're, la- you, you're the creatures. You don't say to the creator, get out of here. Little mice do not declare war on a herd of elephants, you see. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, and he rebukes them, and he says, I have installed my king. And he says, to that king I say, You are my son today. I'm seen to be your father. Ask of me, and I will give you these nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. He said, the day is coming when that one spoken to Adam and Eve. Now through the genealogy of David he will come and I will set him as the ruler of the cosmos. And I will give to him the nations. Promises. But then they go into captivity that's another whole story these people got so far removed from their purpose that they go into captivity now what do they go they've got all these promises that a king will come and and he will be of their line he will be one of them but now they're in captivity What is that? They've been thrown among the nations and the kingdoms of this world and the the kingdoms of this world. You you people who are slaves now are saying that you shall bring forth a king who will rule the cosmos? Come on. Sure doesn't look like it. One of those captives was a fellow called Daniel and he had visions, strange visions, strange visions, um, don't read them quickly. But but those visions are of a kingdom that shall be grander, greater, and overcome and overshadow all the kingdoms of the earth. You remember he, he Nebuchadnezzar, the great tyrant king, had a dream of a great monstrous vision of himself, essentially a head of gold. And it goes all the way down uh, becoming baser and baser metals until there it stands with feet of clay. But then there came a, it says, a little stone. And it was a little stone that was not cut with human hands. It was, it was a kingdom that was not cut of the same cloth as human kingdoms. And Daniel says, I see that little stone and it comes and it shatters the image. He says, the God of heaven will set up his kingdom. Hmm. But then, in in chapter 7, he sees the nations of the world as monstrous beasts. You know, it's almost science fiction. He sees these beasts with... Uh, appendages growing out of them and and they're, they're ghastly things they're monstrous creatures and it says they came out of the sea That that is in, in biblical uh, picture language it, out of the chaos of the nations there emerges these empires bears and leopards with foreheads and wings and stuff The nations of this world are monstrous beasts. Then he sees the worst monster of all, this creature, with the blood dripping from its fangs and its great iron claws ripping to pieces. And then it says that he saw, as if emerging out from that worst monster of all, out of its clutches. He said, I saw one like unto the Son of Man. And He's coming on the clouds of heaven and He's coming to the Ancient of Days, the everlasting God. What does that mean? This very highly poetic, prophetic language of the Old Testament To be on clouds of heaven means exalted. And he is coming out from, I say, the clutches of the beasts. And he's coming to the Ancient of Days, the Father in heaven. And there it says, as he comes to that one, it says, the thrones were set in place. The Ancient of Days took his seat. And it describes this everlasting God in highly and beautiful poetic language that I I will skip over for time. And he says that the beast has been slain. And it says, this one, like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he comes to the Ancient of Days, and he was given authority, glory, glory, Sovereign power, all peoples, nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. So he says, I see these nations of the world. And he said, on the one hand, I see something that is not of human. It's cut by God's hands, but it smashes those kingdoms. And I see one like a son of man but he's exalted into the very presence of the Father and the Father gives to him the rulership of the cosmos and he has a kingdom that can never be destroyed. That's the descendant of David That's the one who shall crush the serpent's head. Because the Israelites, when they read these things, did not understand. And so they looked for someone who would be the greatest deliverer general, who would lead them to bloody wars against all their enemies, and that would be the kingdom. But no... When the kingdom came, the king was born in the feeding trough of a truck stop in Bethlehem. But you see, before he was born, the angel had come to the Virgin Mary and had said, listen, You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. That's the bringing of all those prophecies into one statement. And to Mary it was said, this is the one. And Jesus was born to a peasant couple who, incidentally, if the land had not been under the rule of Rome, that monster that Daniel had seen, If this had been as it had been before the captivity, before the problems, this would have been Princess Mary and King Joseph because they both descended through two different lines from David as the scripture had said. Jesus, for 30 years, is the king living out his kingdom. He is establishing in the earth a human being who lives to obey his father and do his father's will and to walk with his father in love. But then he is thrust upon the scene to do his work as Messiah. He is baptized by John. The Holy Spirit descends upon him like oil pouring over him and he steps out of the river Jordan and this is it. The one prophesied in Genesis, the one prophesied to David, the one anticipated by Daniel now steps onto the dirt of the banks of the river Jordan. He's announced to the world. And the very first thing he does is go into the wilderness to find Satan and confront him eyeball to eyeball and become the first human being who said no to Satan. And specifically... The final temptation of Satan was to offer Jesus all the nations, all the kingdoms of this world and said, Satan, I can give them to you because I own them and they were given to me. Yes, back there in the garden. And Jesus refuses. When he takes the kingdoms of this world, it will not be from the hand of Satan. It will be from the hand of his father. That was repeated incidentally when he multiplied the loaves and the fishes, remember, fed the 5,000 men and their wives and children. And when the people realized what had happened, they come to make him king. But he won't receive the kingdom from the hands of people either. So he ran away and hid in the mountains, recognizing those well-meaning people to be the unwitting pawns of the same Satan. When Jesus began to preach, what was his very first statement? He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is what you've been looking at for these millennia, promises, prophecies. Well, now it's at hand. What does that mean? Well, I mean, this pad you see here, these little sticky notes, they are at hand to me. That is, I can touch them. They're no longer something you read of in a catalog. They're not in a store. No, they're right here on my desk, here, at hand. I can touch it. Jesus said it's no longer in the catalog of God. It's no longer far away in the prophets. The kingdom of heaven is touchable. It's here. In fact, in the Greek language, the word ad hand would describe, if you're from California especially, when those great waves tower above the beach, if you could fast Freeze that, and just see that that wave as it's about it—it's it, it, going to hit the beach any sec, microsecond. That would be the meaning of the word "at hand." Jesus said, "The kingdom of heaven is so close. The kingdom of heaven is so near. It's at hand. Within touch." At another point, he said, why are you looking all over the place for the kingdom of heaven? He said, the kingdom is among you or in your midst. Well, what was in their midst? He was in their midst. Remember, when I started this, I said, kingdom means the domain or the authority of the king. It's all about the king. So Jesus said, the kingdom is in your midst, as he himself stood in their midst. He is the kingdom. It's obedience to him. It's united to him. That is the kingdom. He's what it's all about. He's the one who is going to reverse the disobedience of mankind and crush the head of Satan. He defined the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 12 when he said, I have bound the strong man Satan and I've spoiled all his goods and delivered people from his authority. That's the kingdom of heaven where Satan's lies are exposed and he is broken. Or Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Peter gives a resume and says how Jesus of Nazareth, anointed or Messiahed by the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So Peter said the sign that the kingdom of heaven has come. It is that love has delivered people from the tyrant. Love has come and healed and mended our broken, sick bodies, as well as brought love, health, and healing to our innermost being. Salvation. When, when John the Baptist, he couldn't get it. He'd been saying this one was about to come, and he believed this, Jesus, his cousin, was the one. But now, what's he doing? What's he doing? Where, where's the armies? Where's the fighting? Where are we overthrowing Rome, said John? What's he doing? He's going around saying, love one another. That's not a deliverer. We're never going to get rid of the Roman Empire. We're never going to emerge as this great kingdom by telling people to turn the other cheek and to love one a kingdom of lovers don't get it don't get it so he sent his disciples and jesus gives that list of all the the lame are walking the lepers are cleansed the blind are seeing the sick are healed the good news is being proclaimed go and tell john the kingdom is here that's what the kingdom is all about And he at the center of that lived in continual obedience to his Father. God, the Son, has become human without ever ceasing to be God. And he, the human, write that in purple, blaze it in lights, the human. He sums up all humans. And the human, within the limitations of human, submits to the Father, listens to the Father, does and shows exactly who the Father is and what the Father wants. And that obedience comes to its head in Gethsemane when that which now must be done is that this one, joins us to the nth degree to actually go under the claws of Satan and to meet Satan as us and for us. And Jesus recoils and said, If it be possible, let this pass from me. But then the grand and final obedience nevertheless not my will but yours be done. Or as Philippians 2 says he was obedient even to the death of the cross. And Jesus offered himself and willingly was placed into the domain and the clutches of Satan and darkness. Yeah. But he did that obeying the Father. He is there as the very definition of obedience. He is there loving the Father. And Satan has on his hands what he has no authority to touch. Satan's authority was over those who chose to obey him. His authority was over those who chose to be hostile to the Father. And now in his domain of darkness is the one who is obedience to the Father. He has no authority over him and this one has come into his domain. Light has entered darkness and shattered the darkness. Life has come into death and death is destroyed. Death died when Jesus entered death. And then the Father raised him from the dead. And he now is given a kingdom. Jesus is the one. He continually referred to him as the Son of Man. He is what Daniel was talking about. And he He ascends, the Son of Man, exalted in glory, a resurrected human. And he comes to the Father. And the Father gives to him the nations of the world and all its peoples and kingdoms. The kingdom has come in the ascension of Jesus. Or as Revelation 11 and 12 says, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of the Lord and his Messiah. And as Jesus said, All authority is given to me in heaven and upon earth. The kingdom has come. Jesus has completely resurrected and restarted the human race. And that's why he's called the last Adam the first Adam took us under the authority of Satan the last Adam comes into that and brings us out at great suffering the scars of which he maintains in his body to this day the kingdom has come then what's the good news The good news is, look, I'm telling you the good news. The kingdom of God who loves you has come in Jesus Christ. You have been delivered from the domain and the tyranny and authority of Satan. And you now dwell within the kingdom and authority of Jesus Christ the Lord He's come. And when we hear that good news, then we acknowledge Jesus is the truth. That's it. His love for us, His obedience, has brought us out from Satan's authority. I believe you, Jesus. I believe you. I trust that the Father, the real God, has been revealed in you And you have really done what the Father sent you to do. And I believe, yes, I trust you, Jesus. You are Lord, your King of the cosmos. And you are above every other king and president and authority in the spirit world and on this physical earth. And so we say with the Father... You are Lord. Or the other word in English, we confess, which means say together with. We say together with the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, you are God from God joined forever with us humans. And you have delivered us from our sin You are our obedience. You are our righteousness. And you have delivered us from Satan's authority. And as Messiah, he was given the Holy Spirit to give to us. And the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see we are free. The Holy Spirit connects us with this Lord, Jesus, the Messiah. And His kingdom, His rule, His life that we are now joined with is righteousness in us. It's peace, the peace of God in us. It's joy, the joy of the Lord in us. In the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is in and with and upon Lord Jesus and in and with and upon you and I. That's the kingdom. We've been taken out, says Colossians 1, delivered from the domain of the darkness into the kingdom of the dear Son of God. And this domain of Jesus extends to every human being. Every human being he purchased with his blood. His mark is upon everyone. Satan has no authority. All He's got is lies and bluff. And as long as persons are in ignorance and believe His lies, they're under His very illegal false authority. But where the good news is proclaimed in that power and enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, then persons see. Or as Acts 26 says, turn the people from darkness. Open their eyes so that they may see. And when they see, it says then they will leave the darkness and turn to the light, leave Satan and turn to God. Or as Jesus said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, or because of that, you go and tell the whole world they're free. And we do that. We live in His strength. We live in His power. We live in His authority. And at the very center of that is this prayer. Your kingdom come. Because the kingdom has come in Jesus. And we now pray that into our home and extended relationships into our office into our factory into our neighborhood into our schools into our city let your kingdom now come that kingdom that is may it now be made visible in this place where you have placed me Let that finished work of Jesus, that stripping of Satan's authority, be made manifest here, where I live, where I work. Or as to ancient Joshua it says, wherever the sole of your foot treads or puts its foot down on this earth, I've given it to you. Understand that. Oh, please understand it. You're not just telling people that if they say this prayer after you, then they're they're not going to go to hell. And if they hang it out till they die, oh, come on. You have been saved to be a ruler. You have been saved to bring the kingdom of God into your piece of history. To you, in the name of Jesus, the Lord has been given authority to bring healing to the humans around you. Healing of spirit, healing of mind, healing of emotion, healing of body, healing of possessions and place on this planet. Jesus is the King. Jesus is the all that covers every part of the Things that Satan brought to mankind. Jesus has done it. It's done. Now you and I in the praying of this prayer are distributing that which came out of the tomb. We are implementing that as we speak in our world, as we act out our lives in this world as we put our hands of love on broken hurting painful people we are distributing christ the all in all we are implementing what he has done now we are bringing it into our world oh your kingdom come it's the father's kingdom which he has given to jesus which we now share with Jesus and bring it to pass in our life. Obviously, I've only got you to the threshold of this so we understand what Jesus was talking about. So next week, we'll spend the whole hour talking of how we actually pray this and bring it to pass and to get inside the passion, the intense passion of the Father. the the beyond words, passion, desire of the Father that this take place. Which explains why we pray and we pray and we pray. But anyway, that's next week. Just to make you ready for it. So now, I bless you. I bless you the one and only true God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, His blessing be upon you. Open the eyes of your understanding. Thrill you with this gospel that you shall live in the therefore of bringing the authority of Jesus Christ into every nook and cranny of your life. So I bless you. So it is. Jesus Christ is Lord.